Let's hear the word of God through Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, We're using the New Revised Standard Version, so I'm afraid there's no edification. Um, Just mutual upbuilding. Paul says, Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It's before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in honour of the Lord. Also those who eat, eat in honour of the Lord, since they give thanks to God, while those who abstain, abstain in honour of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves, And we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue give praise to God. So then, each of us will be accountable to God. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. If your brother or sister is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause ruin of one for whom Christ died. So do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The one who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and has human approval. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for you to make others fall by what you eat. It is good not to eat meat or drink or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. The faith that you have Have as your own conviction before God. Blessed are those who have no reason to condemn themselves 
because of what they approve. But those who have doubts are condemned if they eat because they do not act from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us must please our neighbour for the good purpose of building up the neighbour. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Jesus Christ, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So I'm accepted, I'm forgiven, I'm fathered by the true and living God. Problem is, I'm not really sure about you. And it's, it's ironic and, and deeply disturbing that although the church is supposed to be characterised by mutual acceptance and forgiveness, we often draw this distinction between my sins, which are forgiven, thank you Lord, and your sins, well I really don't know about yours. We are notorious for judging, condemning, and criticizing each other. And it's actually a denial of the gospel. And it's such a serious issue that, that Paul addresses it in chapters 14 and 15 of Romans. It's not the easiest book in the world to read, Romans. And it's easy to feel once you get to chapter 14, what's all this about? having, you know, the, the great exposition of the gospel in chapters 1 to 8, grappling with the problem of Israel and, and predestination in Romans 9, 10 and 11, practical stuff, we can see how we're supposed to live in 12 and 13, and then suddenly, what is stuff about what you're supposed to eat? And you think, oh, I've lost it now, what's the big deal? And the whole argument tends to pass us by because, by and large, what we eat as Christians isn't a big issue. Some of us are vegetarians. God bless you. That's great. Some of us are carnivores, and we're not really that bothered. But in the church in Rome, it was a big issue. It was a major deal. Because you had Jewish believers, followers of Jesus, who knew that the law expressly said, as God's people, you must not eat any unclean food. That rules out pork. That rules out any meat that might have some blood left in it. That rules out any meat that might have been offered at some point in sacrifice to an idol in worship. And so many of them just said, actually, we don't know where this meat has come from. To honour God, we are only going to eat vegetables. And so for them, honouring God meant being very careful about your diet. And it mattered deeply to them. Deeply ingrained in their psyche was the knowledge that just 200 years earlier there had been a concerted move to eradicate Judaism as a religion. Sacrifice in the temple had been banned. You weren't allowed to keep the Sabbath. People were forcibly compelled to eat pork 
or other meat that had been sacrificed on a pagan altar. On pain of death, you were not allowed to circumcise your sons. Any books of the law which were found were torn up and burned. And there were those who kind of gave in to that, and there were those who resisted and paid the price for it. They were known as the Maccabean martyrs. Women who had their children circumcised, the women were killed, and the infants were hung round their necks. Those who refused to eat pork were tortured to death. When a thousand people took refuge in caves and were attacked on the Sabbath day, they refused to defend themselves and were slaughtered, men, women, and children. If something like that happens recently in your history, you don't forget it. It is deeply part of, you know, people died for these principles. Therefore, they matter a great deal to us. And one of the reasons why Paul was such a controversial figure was he was saying, they don't really matter that much, actually. Sabbath, whether you keep it or not, it's up to you. Some people make a special day, other people just use every day to honour God. You, you decide what you want to do. Eating food, well, I don't think any of it's unclean, really. It doesn't really matter. The only thing that counts is, is following Jesus. And, and this didn't go down very well with a lot of Jewish believers, because the Bible actually is crystal clear. Faithful member of God's people, you have to circumcise your children. So to say that circumcision is neither here nor there, that's actually crossing a boundary, isn't it? It's a sign of the covenant. As God's people, you have to avoid unclean food. To honour God, you have to keep the Sabbath. And yet Paul is saying, it doesn't really matter. You just need to believe in Jesus. That's the only thing that counts. And a lot of people are quite angry with him over that. And in Rome, it was a seriously contentious issue. So much so, in fact, I think I'm one of those who think that Paul spends the entire argument in Romans, the past 13 chapters, building up to this point, because it is all about a divided church. Christians are odds with each other over these practical issues. So you had Gentile believers who thought the whole food law and Sabbath thing was a complete and utter waste of time. None of that's relevant anymore now that Jesus has come. Why are you bothering with that? They looked down on Jewish believers who had these scruples, thought them backward, called them weak, actually. Your faith is so weak, it needs to be bolstered with all these other rules and regulations that don't really matter. They were quite arrogant in their attitude, some of them. There were those who were more considerate. Yeah, we, we know it doesn't matter, but we realise it, it's important to you. So if we're going to have Jewish believers around, we, we will serve kosher food. We will endeavour not to cause offence to them. Then you had Jewish believers who said, well, we, we recognise that these things are important, but these, these are our Gentile brothers and sisters. So if they invite us around and they serve us meat, we don't quite know where it comes from. We're not going to say, oh, I'm not having that, sorry. We, we, will, we will set aside our scruples for the sake of fellowship and we will eat with them, we will share food with them and, and we will accommodate ourselves to where they're at. But then you had the, the sincerely devoted Jewish believers who were saying, you can't compromise like this. To honour God means keeping the food laws. It means keeping the Sabbath. These things are really important. So they were judging and criticising those who were kind of, you know, on the borderline of keeping these laws or those who weren't keeping it. Because it mattered so much to them, they were angry with those who were just abandoning things that were core aspects of their faith. And it was to these fragmented and unhappy groups of Christians that Paul wrote this major letter, the epistle to the Romans, explaining, look, you might have been a godless Gentile, 
You might have been a law-abiding Jew. Whichever you've been, the fact remains that you are a sinful human being for whom Christ died. And once we put our faith in Christ, it's his Spirit alone who enables us to lead the kind of lives that are pleasing to God. So you Gentiles, you've not got no business looking down on law-observant Jews because Israel actually is still God's chosen people, called and saved by grace. There is no room for arrogance in your hearts because God has graciously allowed you to be included in the family of his chosen people. How can you possibly be arrogant in your attitude towards your brothers and sisters? But you Jews, you... You've got no business looking down on your Gentile believers or, or those, those Jewish brothers and sisters who are accommodating themselves to them because ultimately, the bottom line is, it is faith in Christ, not keeping the law, which puts us right with God. So let's get a perspective on this. And that's why Paul, in, in these chapters and moments, tells people on both sides of the debate, look, stop, please stop criticising each other. Stop treating each other with contempt. If you are a law-observant Jew and you see someone else in church eating pork, your automatic reaction might be one of revulsion. How can anyone who has a relationship with God do that? Well, you might not be able to, but they can. And they've got a relationship with God and they're answerable to God and not to you. And on judgment day, they will be able to stand in the presence of God because God is able to make them stand. Or if a Gentile believer sees a Jewish believer refusing to eat meat and thinks, oh, why can't they just get rid of their hang-ups? If that person were a real Christian, they would know that faith in Christ is the only thing that matters. Yes, says Paul, maybe you feel that way. But if in their hearts they cannot but feel that this food is unclean and I cannot in all conscience eat it, What the food actually is doesn't matter. But if for them it is unclean, they would be sinning against their conscience if they ate it. They would not be able to eat it as an expression of their faith. They would not be able to give thanks for it. So it's right for them not to eat it. And it's wrong for you to look down on them because it's a valid expression of their faith. So to both groups of people, Paul says, you need to work out what you believe and live in accordance with that to find a valid expression of your faith. But recognise that that person over there will express their faith in one way and that person over there will express their faith in a very different way. And it's wrong for anyone to insist you've got to live out your faith my way. That just doesn't work. That's not on. In actual fact, the primary concern ought not to be arguing about why I'm right and you're wrong. The primary concern should be to find ways of making each other welcome and accepting each other as brothers and sisters in Christ with our differences, not disputing the rights and wrongs of different opinions. Because actually the lack of love, the lack of concern, the lack of consideration is more important than the issue over which you're disagreeing. Attitude is what God looks at. And if your intolerance harms or hurts another believer in Christ, then you are causing harm or hurt to someone for whom Christ died. 
And that's not right. And if you are judging somebody else, then you are putting yourself in place of God, who alone is judge. They are the ones to whom, that God, it is God to whom they are accountable. You cannot take that upon yourself. So that's not appropriate either. Your overriding priority needs to be welcoming, accepting, encouraging, and supporting each other, particularly those with whom you disagree. And that takes grace. But that's the gospel. And if you were to ask me to sum up the message of the book of Romans, in a sentence it is, there is no moral high ground in church. There is no vantage point, not even this platform, for which anybody can look down on anybody else and criticise them for what they're doing or despise them for the way in which they live. Because all of us, actually, are sinners saved solely by grace. And realising that is the key to, to answering Paul's prayer, that the God of peace would enable us to live in such harmony with each other, in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together with one voice, we might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do we disagree over these days? Well, it's not usually what we eat. That's because Paul's arguments effectively carried the day. Most of us, actually, are pretty laid back over the issue of Sunday trading as well. We, we can say we're popping down to Sainsbury's after the morning service without fear of having our names taken to a church meeting because we're trading on the Lord's Day. And the thing is, you make up your own mind about how you're going to honour God today. And for some of us, not shopping is important. For others, of us, it really doesn't matter. Some of us just say, I'm going to honour God every day. Do you need to dress up to come to church? I look round sometimes and count the dwindling number of people who are wearing ties, let alone jackets. And for some people that's important. You, you would get dressed properly if you were coming into the presence of, of royalty. Why should you be casual in the presence of God? Another say, actually, you know, God looks at the heart, doesn't he? What we, what we wear is neither here nor there. And we can discuss about it, and we can argue about it, but let's respect each other's different points of view, accepting and welcoming the people who are very different to us in terms of how we dress. As a Christian, can I go down to the pub and have a drink? Once a time at a Baptist church, you would never, ever do that. These days, we've even got a pub group that meets down the road. Um, it may not be right for you, but it doesn't mean to say it's wrong for other people. I'm not sure how socially acceptable it would be to say, you know, I enjoy watching Game of Thrones. Uh, some of us can watch it and enjoy it. Others, that would be horrific. The very idea of watching it is anathema. How could you possibly do that as a Christian? And, and the thing is, people draw lines in different places. This is, you know, I, I could never do that, but this person could. Actually, there are, there are different areas in which what is acceptable for me is not acceptable for you. And it would be quite wrong to say, well, let's watch it as part of the big summer programme. We'll stay with Jane Austen, thank you very much. Because it would be to cause problems to people if we did that as part of our church programme. What about issues of sexuality? Is it okay to live with someone if you're not married and you're a Christian? There were those who say that's completely out. And there were those who'd say, actually, well, if it's a loving, committed relationship you know does the label married matter or not 
And again, that's an issue over which there are differing perspectives. Pushing the boat out a bit further, is it possible to be in a relationship with someone and a Christian and be gay? And for some people say the Bible is explicit that that is an anathema in the sight of God. And there were others who say, actually, as I read the Bible and as I interpret it and as I read the language that's used and the context in which it's written and our understanding now, I believe that God approves of me, who I am, and approves of my relationship because it is a loving, committed relationship that reflects the love of Christ. And people are poles apart over that particular kind of issue. And, you know, the Bible in one sense is quite clear, but how you interpret it is another matter. And people who are are conservatives might say, well, you are just twisting the Bible so you can do what you like. And that's exactly what people said to Paul. You know, yes, I know the Bible says this, but actually we believe the Spirit is saying that. And the challenge is to find ways of disagreeing, but still welcoming and accepting each other as brothers and sisters in Christ with fairly strongly held differing views on very practical aspects of our lives. People get hung up over aspects of biblical interpretation as well, the interpretation of the death of Christ. Did Jesus bear God's wrath and punishment against sin? And is that the only way in which I could be saved? There are Christians who say, you need to believe that to be a proper Christian. And there are others who say, actually, I can't. I can't accept that picture of God's wrath being poured out on Jesus and him bearing God's punishment on sin. I can't get my head around that. It puts anger at the heart of God rather than love at the heart of God. And Christians have debated that with all the vitriol that's been reserved for the Brexit debate in our country at the moment. And Paul says, actually, you know, accept each other on this. Different ways of interpreting and understanding Scripture. I was quite surprised to have a conversation, be part of a conversation with two, between two people about creation. And one of them said, yeah, I believe in evolution. And the other one said, I thought you were a Christian, she said. There are Christians who can't understand why anyone with half a brain would not accept the overwhelming scientific evidence in favour of evolution. There are Christians who insist that the Bible says it was six days, therefore it must be six days. A whole range of other issues we could talk about as well. The point is that in the Church of Christ, we, some of us have very strongly held views on what is right or what is wrong. And they are right or wrong for us. But let's respect the fact that there are other sincere, committed, believing Christians who th- see things very, very differently. And we are called, have much we disagree with their views, to treat them with love and respect because attitude attitude is what God looks at and one of the strengths of Brighton Road and one of the things I glory in in Brighton Road is that we are a broad church and actually on most of these issues you would find different people having different views here and the wonder of God's grace is we're able to come here and worship together and embrace each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and that is a strength And one of the good things about Brighton Road is that you won't find people saying, you need to believe this specific bit of doctrine in order to be a proper Christian. And you won't often uh, hear people saying, well, you need to be doing this or that specifically because we believe that 
if we love each other, then essentially we fulfill what the law requires. The ethos of this church is open hearts and open minds. Now, in a few weeks, Michael Hogg is coming to join us as leader of community evangelism. And he and I are very different. We come from, you know, towards opposite ends of the theological spectrum. But I have an enormous respect for him, and I believe he has for me as well. What matters is that we both love Christ and are committed to serving him as Lord, and we will find ways of working together. In Brighton Road, between us, we represent a wide range of different beliefs and perspectives on a whole range of issues. What counts is that as sinful people, we put our trust in Christ as Lord, believing that because we do that, we are accepted, we are forgiven, we are fathered by the true and living God. And that's true of me, and it's true of you as well, because we're saved by grace. Open hearts to receive God's love. Open minds to explore God's truth. Open arms to welcome and accept each other, even those with whom we disagree. That's how God calls us to be in this particular church at this particular time.